Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey, and joining me on this special episode that kicks off 2020, I've got our co-host Mel and my beautiful bride, Christy. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. It's good to be back. (laughs) Oh man, this is going to be special. We want to do this because we're going to do a little mini series. We've done this in the past. We've done a little mini series in our intros, and uh, I want to talk a little bit about how to support other people as they're walking through pain, as they're walking through grief, as they're walking through trial. And we're going to parse this out into several different ways uh, to support different types of people in your life, the the, the places that um, people populate in your life, they have different roles in your life. And so we want to kind of talk about each one of those and uh, thought it would be awesome to bring my beautiful bride on here because we want to, I mean, people are always asking to hear more from you. Well, I feel like people think I'm an expert and I, I'm <laughs> like young in my 30s. Let's just say that. So people think 30s are old. I'm in my, you know, younger years in my 30s and I feel like I still have a lot more to go through. So can we I be honest though, like your life, what you've lived, you're, I mean, you might as well with your experience be 70 years old. I because mean, you've lived so much. <laughs> the Lord has blessed me with a lot of trials. Let's just say that. <laughs> so yes. Uh, that is, it is a blessing. Consider all joy when you walk through trials. Trials can be a blessing. Uh, and it's going to be a blessing to other people because you're going to share your wisdom and Mel, you're going to share some wisdom on how do we support other people. And so sure. this particular, uh, episode, we want to talk about how do we support our spouses? How do we support our spouses when it comes to, let's say your spouse is walking through something hard, whether it's, you know, like they have lost somebody in their life. They've lost a close family member, or maybe you married a widow or a widower, or they're just walking through something difficult. I, I want to I want to make sure we don't get too niche with this, too specific. Let's broaden this out. But um, do you guys have some thoughts on how to go about supporting your spouse when they're walking through something difficult? Yeah, for sure. Um, I would say again, I'm not the expert in this either because Davey and I have been married just shy of two years. So I feel like we're still two kind of- years at the time that this is airing. Oh yeah, that's yeah. true. Oh, yeah, that's fun. So now, hey, happy anniversary, babe. Thank you, babe. Happy anniversary. <laughs> but yeah, I would say that um, even too, I feel like I'm more of like a guy when it comes to trying to figure out and discern what's going on. It's like, if you don't tell me point blank what's going on, I'm sitting here like, <laughs> I didn't know you were mad. You didn't tell me you were mad. Like, even though you made the mad face, you could have been mad for any other reason. So I think that's been so a struggle. <laughs> but I think the biggest thing is um, I definitely wanted to share about some of the times that you were going through some things. And I remember um, one time we were just sitting on the couch mm-hmm. and um I felt like you were going through a couple of things and I just didn't want to um, just sit there and just let it happen. I wanted to actually yeah. ask some questions and that's where the guy part comes in. It's like, I, could, I had no idea what was going on. So I was just going to be bold and just say like, hey, like, actually, what is going on right now? What are you feeling? What are you thinking about? Um, and so, yeah. Davey, well, you remember is, that. This was back when we were dating and I hadn't done a whole lot of talking about, you know, where I was with, uh, in terms of losing Amanda and wasn't sure if that was a topic that we could broach, you know, cause that could be a little bit of a tough topic to talk to about the person that you're dating, mm-hmm. you know, or to the person that you're dating now. And so, uh, you asked me that and, um, I, re- I remember we were actually listening to a sleeping, we were listening to sleeping at last. And there was a particular song that you said reminded you of Weston and I and what we had gone through. And, um, it just opened up 
the, the floodgates for me, honestly, in sharing with you. And I think in that moment, I felt uh, for the, f- well, maybe not for the, maybe it was probably for the first time with you, but really for the first time um, that I could open up fully with, with somebody, especially in the nature of the relationship that, that you were in my life about Amanda and what I was struggling with currently and what I had been struggling with. And so I remember just weeping uh, right there on the couch and just talking to you about, you know, recently, this is what I've been struggling with when it comes to trying to grieve the loss of Amanda. And it was a very interesting thing when you, when you're talking to somebody that you are beginning to fall in love with about the person that you lost, that you loved so much. Um, and it seems so awkward and it seems so honestly otherworldly, you mm-hmm. know, like you can't ha- you can't do that unless you have the perspective of kingdom perspective that says, Hey, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. As first Thessalonians says, we, we have a different vantage point, different perspective, because we know that, you know, ultimately the one, the ones we lose, they're in heaven with Jesus, they had a relationship with Jesus. And so I could, I could kind of share and open up with Christy about this because first of all, she made herself a safe person. She made herself open to hearing this. I'm sure there were times where it felt awkward for you, Chris, to like hear some of the things that I was saying and you probably had to wrestle with. There may have been some things that kind of like, ooh, that was, oh, a little bit of a twinge right there to hear about how much you loved someone else. Um, but, but regardless, what I felt from you at that moment was you were like, hey, just talk to me, share with me, open up about this. Honestly, for me, I just felt like you were so quiet about so many things. And I knew if we were going to progress in our relationship that it was going to need to be an open book. Mm. And so like, again, you said, I would encourage people just to be a safe place for someone to share. And then also just test the waters. Like I wasn't sure how I was going to feel when he shared everything with me that he did. And it felt so good that it didn't, it really wasn't awkward and it didn't have like a twinge or a sting or anything like that. And I, and I responded to Davey that, Hey, like, I don't want you to close off any part of your life to me because I, mm. I, I explained it to him like this. Like if, if your life is like a book and you have all these chapters written about your life, a third of his book was written uh, about Amanda because Amanda was in his life yeah. for a third of his life. Yeah, 10 years out of those 30, yeah. Yes, and so if I'm trying to understand who Davey is or what this book is about, I can't not read those chapters. I have to know about those chapters of his life. And so for me, she, the reason why I know he is the man he is today is because of Amanda as well. Mm. Like she had a huge role in his life. And so I needed to know um, those those intimate parts, those personal parts, right. and why he was feeling the way he was feeling. And honestly, I feel like it immediately progressed our relationship. Well, and that's what I was going to say. The result of that conversation is that we felt so much closer with each other. We felt so much more connected than we ever had. Mm-hmm. And yet that was the thing that we probably were most fearful of was a conversation like that. And so isn't it interesting that the enemy will make you fearful of, of opening up and being, being vulnerable? And yet the result of being vulnerable with each other is a connection, a, a closeness. Yes, for sure. And I would say that the biggest thing is to always, we, Davey and I will always go into weird conversations where we, I always just say, test me, Davey. Like, hmm. don't keep this, uh, um, don't hold this back from me. Like, I want to be able to trust you and I want to be able to hear everything, even the things you don't think I want to hear. And so test me and see how that that falls on, you know, falls on my ears. And if it does hurt and it feels weird, then maybe we'll create boundaries around some of the areas that maybe you shouldn't share in whatever, whether it's Amanda, whether it's something else in life. Um, And so that's been neat to see just being an open book and just being a safe place to, and both sides, we're both being safe that we both can listen and and respond well. Mm. 
Mel, what about you? What are some what are some ways that you think you know, and when it comes to supporting your spouse or your spouse supporting you? Yeah, well, um, hello, nothing is wasted, <laughs> listeners. This is your favorite third wheel. Um, <laughs> um, I would say just piggybacking off of what you guys were saying is um, something that I love, Tim Keller, that Tim Keller has taught me is that um, in our relationships we with the beauty of the gospel is to be fully known and fully loved. Mm. And I think that that definitely um, understanding someone's past um, helps you um, be there for their present and walk with them in their future. But I think one of my favorite things that we do together um, is just praying together. And yeah. I know, mm. no, no, that you and Christy do the same thing, but uh, we always sit hand in hand and pray. And there's a few um, bedrock promises that we always lace throughout our prayers. Um, when we are going through hardship or um, someone's feeling anxious or melancholy. And um, yeah, I think that that's really how we support each other. Yeah. Well, I don't think you can underestimate the power of what prayer can do for your you and your spouse, um, especially in terms of we can't fix each other's problems. We can't fix each other's pain. We can't fix what each other is going through. And I think that's what marriages slip into so often is the trying to fix that. Because if we're honest, you're living in the same household. Pain is already an awkward thing to walk into with somebody. You know, we talk about it all the time. Hey, when you're trying to support other people that maybe you don't know, they're an acquaintance of yours, don't try to solve their pain with some kind of pithy theological phrase. Mm-hmm. Don't come in and try to like have all the words, you know, but just be present with them. Well, yeah. it's awkward to do that. It's hard to do that. Ima- now imagine you're living with that person 24 7 and they're going through something difficult, how much more important is it to give them space to be able to process those things and in in due time come to you with those and talk and open up about those things? And so one of the best ways that we can um, help to carry the other, the burden of our spouse, but then also most importantly, cast that burden to the Lord because he's the only one that can fix our pain, so to speak, uh, is pray together. Mm -hmm. I mean, babe, like... Like how amazing is it the times that we do? We're not, again, experts at that. I wish we did it a lot more often. In fact, Mm -hmm. 2020 for us, I think is going to be a year where we're going to devote to doing that a lot more together. But how much, you know, how much more, you know, vulnerable and and safe and intimate do we feel with each other when we get done praying together? I feel like that's one of some of our most beautiful moments together Mm -hmm. and most vulnerable moments is when we just sit, we pray and we allow ourselves to feel again, that safety to be vulnerable and then to give it to the Lord. And it feels like I'm not having the weight of what's going on with you and vice versa. You don't have that weight and you're not holding and trying to fix it yourself. You're allowing the Lord to work on it. Right. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you just need that other person to take you by the hand and go to the foot of the cross together. Like sometimes you yes. feel too weak to go mm. there. You're alone. Mm. So. That's so good. Wow. So good. Well, this is uh, this has been super helpful. Um, and if you have any questions as you're listening to this and you want to you know, write in, hello at nothingiswasted.com, ask us some questions. We'd love to help serve you in any way that we possibly can. Um, if you have other ways, suggestions on ways that you have supported your spouse or your spouse has been supported, supporting to you throughout a trial, also offer that up, hello at nothingiswasted.com. While you're 
uh, on the internet and you're emailing us, we want you to also go over to nothingiswasted.com and check out our new stories platform. Chris, you've been spearheading this like crazy. This has been awesome. Yes, for sure. But I mean, maternity leave, so give me some grace because there's been a little <laughs> lapse, okay? <laughs> no, it's been it's been incredible. Can you kind of share a little bit, just briefly, the vision that you had around yeah. this? Because you're the one that said, hey, I think we need to start this stories platform. Yeah. And it was like such a great idea. I think the biggest thing about stories is they're very powerful. No one can uh, deny the impact that the Lord has had on your life. And mm. a lot of the times you see God's glory and power through trial. And so I love hearing people's uh, stories of trial and mm. how they saw the Lord working and how good the Lord is after that. How Because it's a lot of times you can say, how is God good? Yeah. But the people who've gone through the worst, they can see the goodness of the Lord yeah. through their brokenness and more so than ever. And so I feel like if they can see it, why not share it to everybody else and our mm. listeners? And a lot of times it's really hard to get a bunch of people on the podcast. We're booked out, I feel like six. <laughs> seven, eight months in advance. And so for me, I'm like, let's get some of these stories out there. And if some of these stories that we post on Instagram end up being something that we want the podcast and great. Um, But it's a, it's a way, another way for people to get their voice out and get their story to be heard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how cool would it be if this community was just a community of people that just continually shared their stories? Oh yeah. Right. And gave, gave glory to God in the midst of their trial. And we, there's just a plethora of stories that come out no matter what platform we're sharing it on. So go over to nothingiswasted.com slash stories, submit your story. If you have one, we'd love to hear it. We'd love to read it. We'd love to also pass it along so that our community can read it as well. And uh, while you're at it, if you go over and rate us at at iTunes, rate and review. We'd love to hear a review from you. And this just helps us as we're trying to uh, get this podcast into more and more hands. Mention us on Nothing Is Wasted Ministries Instagram handle. Again, Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. Uh, Mention us there. And we'd love to hear from you on all of those mediums. Share this with people who are going through a tough time. Maybe this is a perfect opportunity, this series on supporting other people in pain. For you to just share this with uh, folks in your life that you know have someone in their life that's going through something tough. So share it with them. And um, and we'd love for this to serve you in that capacity. Yeah, definitely check us out on Insta. We got some good stuff going on on there. Um, I'm so excited for our listeners to um, hear this week's episode with Sarah. Um, Sarah had a sister with cancer and did a absolute beautiful job supporting her through that all, um, all the while dealing with her own personal depression. And, um, and I think that that is, it's interesting because, you know, as we began this episode, we're talking about how you support, um, married, uh, your spouse. And I think, um, with her, she was, um, constantly, being there, trying to be there for her sister, um, and then Mm -hmm. really needed, um, help navigating her own sadness through that trial. And so, um, I am so excited for you guys to listen to Sarah's story. And so let's listen in. Sarah, so great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Davey. It is an honor to be here. It's always an honor to have somebody in person. Yes, it's this is a It's always an honor to have a fellow Hoosier in the house. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I just found out that you only live about 15 minutes away from us. Crazy. I had a, no idea. A beautiful part of Indianapolis. Yeah. So Love tell it. us a little bit about your family, who you are, what, what kind of life looks like right now. 
Yeah, my life, I am a mom and a wife. Those are kind of the, the roles that take up a lot of my daily attention. Yeah. Um, so outside of your full-time job there. Yes, you know? yes, exactly, right? Um, I am the mom of middle schooler I was as of say, two how weeks many ago. Kids do you have? Yeah, so I have two kids. Um, oh, my, wow. my oldest just started middle school, so wow. it is a brand new world. Um, Man, that's I am, exciting. I am on and, my knees. I'm yeah, praying a lot say. more. Yep, I'm praying a lot more than I used to. Um, <laughs> and uh, I also have a third grader. Okay. So my my third grader is a daughter and um, my son is the middle schooler. Wow. So 11 and 9. And I am married to a toy entrepreneur. We were talking about this in your kitchen. <laughs> yes. um, my this husband... is so fascinating. Explain a little bit about what he does. Because I was like, what? This is awesome. Yes. So... I thought maybe that that was like a business term or something that I had not come across, <laughs> which I was... I was like, wait a minute. I'm pretty sure I know every term related to entrepreneurs. I've never, like, you know, like a toy poodle or something, <laughs> like a toy entrepreneur. Yes, yes, no. <laughs> but no, he legitimately yeah, he's, designs and he's sells legit. toys. Yes. he and, and really, he all his life has been an entrepreneur. Um, but wow. the doors that God opened are in toys. And wow. so it is a lot of fun in our house. Um he designs and sells marble toys. It's Marble okay. Genius. Marble Genius is the name of our company. Um, I literally find marbles everywhere in my house, <laughs> um, in the craziest places, behind the refrigerator. I they've gotten uh, stuck in my vacuum. Um, there's so many dad jokes that are rolling around oh, in my oh, head yeah. right now. You know about. I'm sure you've dropped the. Did you lose your marbles? Yes. Son? Oh, a million <laughs> times. Yep. 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 We've is heard he, that one. We were talking Enneagram too. Is he? And he's an eight. You said. Mm-hmm. Is he an eight wing seven? Is that what he is? I would, I would, I would think so. He, because he's an eight, he doesn't have time to like look at it and figure out for himself, but I've diagnosed (laughs) him as an eight. Um, so yeah, yeah. Well, I would just imagine with all the fun and the adventure that happens with toy making that I can just see an eight wing seven right there. Yes. I think you're on track with that. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, we came across each other, um, through kind of some mutual paths long, a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and would you, would you just tell the listeners how kind of you came across our story and what your connection is with, uh, with our family? Yeah. I, um, when your news story came about, um, I started making the connection that um, I know Amanda's family mm-hmm. through a loose connection. Um, but I actually grew up in Elkhart, uh, Indiana, and went to the same school as her. I am maybe a decade or more older than her, so I didn't really <laughs> know her uh, in yeah. school, but I knew the family. Right. Um, I have actually met her parents. Um, yeah. They visited my sister, and we'll get into that part of the story when yeah. she was in the hospital. Um, but when I realized the connection, my heart broke for the story anyway, but when I realized that mm. um, connection, my my prayers definitely um, ramped up even harder for you guys. Wow. Um, so I actually, how I found your podcast as a local friend was like, hey, you should look into this, hmm. this um, nothing is wasted. It's an amazing podcast. And then when I researched, I'm like, wait, that's, that's yeah, them. That's, that's the them. story. Wow. Um, that's amazing. So yeah. Well, what's so cool about that is that, you know, you were in a situation, your family was in a situation where you guys needed ministering to, which we're going to talk about in a second, mm-hmm. your story. And right. it's a powerful story that God has moved profoundly in mm-hmm. and now has birthed so much ministry that you're doing, which is awesome. I'm so proud of you for that. But at that moment, the Byers family, you know, as a pastor and, and they were able to step in and kind of minister there. And then when they found themselves in a time and we found ourselves in a time, you guys were maybe not necessarily in person, there, but you were you were buffeting the storms of our life Mm. with prayer. And you guys were ministering to us in that way. And so I think that's just a beautiful picture of the family of God. Yeah. 
and what an amazing thing it is to be connected, Mm -hmm. even though you're not connected and you don't know each other. And we're finding that so much. I'm telling you in (laughs) all of this, as we continue to do this podcast, just how much people are connected through this common denominator of pain, um, unfortunately, but probably an even better common thread and trying to trying to hear from God, what are you, what are you wanting to do out of this pain and a resolve to say, no, we're going to continue to walk this journey Mm -hmm. and, um, and see what God has for us in it. And so why don't we do this? Let's, let's back up. I want you to talk to us a little bit about, you've got a couple facets of your story, but you alluded to your sister. Yeah. Um, talk to us a little bit about that, that journey that you guys, uh, you, you were on for quite some time with your sister. Yeah. Um, really, my earliest childhood memories take place in the hospital, mm. uh, in the children's hospital, not too far from here. Uh, I, I grew up in Northern Indiana, um, but we, because of some medical needs that came up for my sister, spent a lot of time here. So mm. when I was four years old, uh, my sister was 14 at the time, and she was diagnosed with stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Oh, man. Uh, she battled that really off and on all of her entire high school mm. experience. Um, she was actually a student at the school that I went to yeah. and um, missed a lot of school, missed a lot of high school, uh, the typical high school existence. She was in and out of chemo, coming down to here to um, have her treatments. There were many times when as a family we would go, um, you know, kind of making the trip. My parents would try and make it fun, at least, you know, somewhat do some fun things for my brother and I on the side. Yeah. But, you know, those earliest memories for me are sitting in the waiting room at the clinic uh, where she would go to have her chemo and playing on the floor with toys and seeing kids playing next to me that didn't have hair mm. or, you know, had the puffy white skin. And um, I just, that was it made me sad. I knew that they were sick, but in a weird way, it was also became normal to me. Mm. Um, we have pictures of me rubbing my sister's head when she lost her hair. And so learning from that young age to not be scared of people who look different than me yeah. that are going through something difficult. Uh, we actually, we grew up in a really small house in town. And um, so my sister and I shared a bedroom all growing up and it was just big enough. It could fit a double bed, you know, and I'm sure for my sister, I was like the annoying little sister. Um, But (laughs) I, again, just that close up view, uh, there was a a time during her sickness where she had to um, be connected to a port Mm -hmm. uh, to, to have treatments and the doctors allowed her to have that at home. So that meant an IV pole sitting next to the bed and I would wake up, you know, to the, to the IV beeping and alerting my mom that something or, you know, the lights flashing. Um, So my sister's journey took her to the point, um, the summer before her senior year of high school, she got very sick and doctors said that really her only chance, she she really (laughs) didn't have much of a chance of surviving, Mm. but the only opportunity they saw was a bone marrow transplant. And with that, they gave her 10%, less than 10% chance Mm. of surviving that. So it was a very grim diagnosis. Um, And I do want to back up. If you you think about those ages, uh, when she was sick, I was between the ages of four and eight throughout this time. And if you think back to childhood, you know, those are the years when you are starting to understand um, what God's plan of salvation is, the Mm. basics of faith. And so for me, 
watching her suffer was very formative because I had a front row seat to know what it meant that if she died, where is she going? Mm. And so it, it put all those theories or, you know, teachings that we learn in church, you know, to real life. I had a name and a face to it. And, um, I, I will never forget the, the one night we had driven down for chemo as a family and we were driving back and it was dark and my sister was sick, you know, in the back seat. And um, I remember looking up at the stars and my mind was going to heaven. I mean, it always did yeah. because I just kept thinking about, is she going to end up in heaven someday? And I remember saying something to my parents about, you know, I'm so glad I'm going to go to heaven. And they said, well, why do you, why do you say that? And they were kind of probing, you know, a little yeah, bit about my understanding. Right. And I said, well, because I go to church with you guys. And mm. they were just very clear. They said, that that is not the way. The mm. way is to make it a per- personal decision. And um, this was in the day and age before children are like locked down, you know, like mm. we were free to roam about the cabin <laughs> in our cars. And Rolling I, around in the back seat. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I actually, I remember I climbed into the front seat into my mom's lap as we were driving at, you know, I shouldn't say what speed, um, and prayed and asked Jesus in my heart. And wow. that is a direct result of watching suffering, right? you know, and, and at that young age, personalizing it, um, and seeing what that meant for me. So then fast forward to um, this time where she is told your only chance to survive is a bone marrow transplant. Yeah. Um, so she spent her first uh, se- semester, really first three months of her senior year in the bone marrow transplant unit. Um, at that time, this would have been what, 1987. So mm. I think transplants are done a little differently now, yeah. but then it was like a... Um, this huge plastic sheet dividing um, her from everyone else because of her immune system being Mm. so compromised. And so no one could go back there except for medical staff who were fully scrubbed down and cleaned. Um, So our only way to connect with her was through this like plastic glove that you could reach through and touch her with, you know, plastic. Yeah. Um, So out of everyone on her unit at that time, um, she is the only one that made it through. Um, no one else survived that, that unit, but her, and a really crazy part of that story too, is that I mentioned that she spent a lot of time not in school, right? Mm -hmm. But she is your classic firstborn type A, like studies, you know, crazy hard. And she ended up graduating valedictorian of her senior class. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. So we, wow. I don't know if you've ever seen the old building of First Baptist Church. Yes, um, With that big circle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that big circle at First Baptist Church was where they had the graduation ceremony. Yeah. And when she walked up to give her valedictorian speech, I, I, you can just imagine that entire room oh, yeah. on their feet, clapping, not a dry eye in the room. Wow. And again, just a testimony to me as an eight-year-old at that point at... Um, God's power in his hand mm. in our stories. Yeah. And and yet I say that loosely because I know that some who are listening may say, well, my family member had mm. cancer or had a bone marrow transplant and we didn't have that moment where we saw a crowd of people stand up and cheer for them. Um, but I did have that glimpse to see a little glimpse of the healing that we'll have in heaven, right. really. There it is, yeah. Um, wow. As a young child to watch her walk through that. Wow. Um, 
so I've got I've got a few questions, like a few things kind of just piqued my curiosity. Yeah. First of all, w- one of the things that I've kind of observed is that it it seems like for whatever reason, I'm not sure if I have much of a theory around why, but it seems like children who walk through suffering or young people who walk through suffering oftentimes it seems like they walk through it with much more resilience and resolve and sometimes even like this childlike faith more than an adult does. And maybe it's because, you know, the older you get, the more jaded you are, the more frustrated you can be, you know. Um, But, you know, Christy in her PA rotation, she spent some time uh, working oncology Mm. with, with the pediatric oncology, which is like you're watching kids and, you know, the, the cancer ward of that hospital. Um, And, and just their, I don't know, it was something about their spirit that you're like, man, nothing seems to get you down. It's something Mm -hmm. really incredible about that. Now your sister was at kind of that bridge age with all this. What was her faith like in that? What were moments that you saw that were really formidable, you know, formidable to you? And how would you describe how she walked through that and, and really how it affected kind of your formation of faith Mm. in that as well? Yeah, it's a good question. She, she was in that teenager stage. Um, and so I think she would say that being at that age and going through what she did, she really just wanted to be normal. Mm -hmm. Um, she, she didn't want to stand out and yet she did. She was kind of a celebrity. Mm. Um, and I think she, she struggled with that. She just, she wanted to be the kid that could go out and not do bad things, but just, you know, have fun and just be a normal teenager. um, Right. Yeah. But she, she was steadfast. I think, um, there were a lot of people who gathered around her almost in that celebrity mentality, like, Oh, she's going through cancer. So we're going to help her. But maybe it was all Maybe there was an ulterior motive of, Mm -hmm. you know, wanting to be seen themselves or have a story to tell about her, you know? And, um, so she had one really, really close friend in high school and I would say, you know, her other grounding was in Christ. Mm. And, um, you know, it forces you to really realize like there are people that God gives us, Mm. but really he's it, you know, he's it. And these, he's the only one who won't let us down. Um, she, when she went to college, it was kind of her first chance to be normal. Mm. And um, so she... Because in some ways she could kind of start over yeah, without anybody knowing what... Literally, yeah. yeah. She went to a college where no one knew her. And so she um, she went, and again, it wasn't like trying to be rebellious. She yeah. just, she didn't tell anyone. She just right. really wanted to be Jenny. Uh, yeah, she, you know, completely just, understandable. Yeah. yeah. And so um, I, I remember though, I don't know at what point in her college career maybe sophomore year or something like that, um, she she said to us that um, some she had told someone her story at college and they, they invited her to speak in their chapel mm. service. And that was kind of her moment where then everyone on campus knew the story. Right. And when I look back and think about the courage that that took for mm. her to do that, yeah. you know, she had had that opportunity to kind of hide away and... Um, be just herself. But when God said, now it's time to tell the story, yeah. she did. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Do you have any insight into maybe how your parents were wrestling through all of this? Because you mentioned you and your brother and yeah. spending a lot of time down here in Indianapolis for cancer treatments and stuff. 
And so there was, you know, four year plus period where you guys were probably, and the, your parents wanted you to have this normal childhood. Yeah. And yet something far from normal had, 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 you know, hit your family. And so now they're forced to walk through this. What was their kind of insight into, you know, do you have any insight into their feeling or their, you know, their, um, their, their journey through that on how do we, cause obviously they're very, your family's a very faith based family, mm -hmm. very rooted in their faith. Do they have some intentionality as they were going, okay, how do we navigate this with our kids and try to help them have the most normal life that they possibly can. And yet we know that there's an element at which we're not going to be normal. And so we have to face this. Anything that you can remember in, in your childhood there that just really stuck out to you from them? Yeah, I, um, I do want to be upfront and you know, that my parents are divorced now, mm. um, which, you know, I wouldn't say is a direct result of that journey, but it, it definitely put a lot of pressure. Mm. You know, if you look at the world's statistics, I can't remember the exact number, um, but when it relates to like a child dying or going through a ser serious illness, the percentages of divorce just skyrocket. It is high, yeah. It's wow. very, very difficult. Um, that said that they, they still are faithful to this day mm. um, in their faith. Um, growing up, they... Um, we're very consistent to um, be committed to church. Um, we, I remember when we would come down to treatments, um, there was a family that lived down here that we knew, and we would go to church with them. Mm. Um, so just trying to find those normal routines that made faith a priority in the midst of the craziness. Yeah, it was immensely stressful. Um, my mom was really the the main person driving my sister back and forth. And my dad was the one at home um, working hard to pay the bills. Yeah. I mean, you think about the amount of bills that were coming in. Um, it was, it was a lot of pressure. Yeah. My grandparents stepped in to help. Um, I remember a season where they moved in and lived with us to help mm. with my brother and, and myself. Um, my mom had, um, I don't know if she was like a junior or senior in high school that she hired that that year of the bone marrow transplant to yeah. help with us. Um, but really having to rely on the community around us, mm -hmm. um, there was no choice, you mm -hmm. know? And and in that way, I think that boosted their faith and they saw God um, meet them where they were yeah. um, because they were faithful to do that. Mm. Wow. Hey friends, we are super excited about the year 2020. And the reason is, is because we feel like God has downloaded so much vision and so much strategy for what this ministry could be. And frankly, what we believe it should be to help people navigate their trials, tragedies, and transitions and find purpose in their pain. However, we've kind of hit a standstill on what we can do and we're asking you right now to partner with us. If this ministry has impacted you in a major way, if it's encouraged you, if it's inspired you, if it's propelled you forward in walking with Jesus in your trial, would you consider partnering with us financially? I always encourage people first to give back to their local church through tithes. 
But as you and maybe you and your spouse are wrestling with where to give above and beyond, would you consider Nothing Is Wasted Ministries a place for you to give and to partner with us financially? Because your partnership with us would en- enable us in 2020 to do so many different things in helping people live, learn, and lead through pain. We'd be able to get our community groups launched where people could find community in whatever struggle they're going through. Uh, we'd be able to release more inspiring content and we'd be able to better care and pastor and coach people as they're navigating their trials. So if you feel led to give to Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, go to nothingiswasted.com slash donate. You can make a one-time donation or set up a recurring donation of $20, $50, $100 a month. And by giving more than $20 a month, it actually gains you access to our additional content that we provide our Nothing Is Wasted monthly partners. So again, nothingiswasted.com slash donate and partner with us in 2020. So kind of where we are in the timeline of the story, your sister is at college Mm -hmm. and she finally... um, decides, you know what, I want to step out. I'm going to have the courage to be obedient and share my story. Yeah. What, what happens from there? Yeah. So she um, went on to graduate college. She got married, um, lived a relatively healthy existence. She had some, um, well, for some people they would be major, but for her, they were kind of minor yeah. mm-hmm. health things here and there. Um, she she and her husband were able to adopt a daughter um, mm. at, along the way. Um, their daughter, oh, I don't want to mess it up. I think she's 15, 15 or 16. <laughs> Pretty sure 15. Sorry, Grace. Um, so, yeah. So she's a teenager now. Wow. And um, they settled into life, you know, just mm. life of serving and working and raising a child. Um, it was around, I want to say, 20 just over 20 years from the time of her bone marrow transplant, she started to have health concerns again. Mm. Um, She was having trouble breathing. She was getting tired really quickly. Um, She started searching out, you know, with doctors to figure out what was going on. Um, One doctor diagnosed her with asthma and, Mm. um, you know, she being the uh, type A valedictorian student that she was, she started to research on her own and said, I don't think this is right. Um, and she basically self-diagnosed herself that she had um, heart disease mm. and um, was able to confirm that um, with a cardiologist. Uh, and really what happened was the chemotherapy and radiation from all those years mm. ago had damaged her heart. And so she was able to function at a healthy point, um, but it was weakening to the, to the point where really um, her only chance of survival beyond that was to have a heart transplant. Wow. Um, so at this point, you know, she um, she has my brother's bone marrow. That's another whole miracle that happened. Um, our family all were matches for bone marrow hmm. um, back in her high school days, which is wow, unheard of. that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, so she had my brother's bone marrow and now needed a heart. Um, wow. So at this point, um, I was married myself. I had two kids. I had a, my son was around three years old. My daughter was a newborn and we had been monitoring my sister's care. Of course, we lived three hours apart at this point. And um, she said, you know, doctors are saying that, you know, once I get to that point where I'm bad enough, <laughs> they'll admit me to the hospital. 
um, and we'll wait for the heart. So it got to the point where she called me and she said, it's time. Um, and we had kind of prepared for what that would mean because I live close to the hospital where she would be. And so I became home base for her and her family during that time. Um, so she was admitted and, um, lived in the ICU for six weeks, um, which looking back, doesn't sound that long, but it was a very long yeah, time that, in the midst, yeah. especially when each day you don't know when that day is going to come. Right. And um, she was tethered to a wall, literally. Um, she couldn't walk more than two steps away from her bed um, and just really, really weak. And um, it was during that time that I actually met the buyers mm. um, because I would try and go visit her every day in the hospital. I was the only family here and I just, I just couldn't, I didn't like picturing her sitting there unable to get out of bed. And I just wanted to be a familiar face there as much as I could. And so I, with a three-year-old son, I thought I can't take him Mm. because, you know, there's lots of wires and he is the typical three-year-old boy. You know, we don't need anything getting unplugged. Um, So I would take him to preschool Mm -hmm. and then drive with my daughter uh, to visit my sister. And, um, it was during that time that one of the visits, the buyers happened to be there mm. and visiting with her and praying with her. And I got to experience that a couple times where um, pastors would come and pray. Yeah. Um, and uh, around the six week mark, we got that call that um, there was a heart mm. and um, she went into surgery. Um, I will never forget the moment I... I had kind of suppressed my emotions. I was just like not ready to deal with it. You yeah, know, right. I was a little more of the um, the main contact point with the, the hospital because I'd been there all the time. So trying to help pack up her room. I mean, she'd been living in the same room right. for six weeks, trying to pack and, and get everything done. And I remember walking down that, you know, endless white hallway and we took her to that point where we had to separate and I was about ready to walk away. And she said, Sarah, come here. Mm. And she grabbed my hand and she just said, I'll see you on the other side. Mm. And anyone who has the hope of heaven knows that's a double meaning. Yeah, right? right. Like I hoped I would see her on this side, but if not, I would see her on the other right. side. Um, wow. So she, um, she made it through that. She stayed in the hospital another week. She moved in with my family for mm. a month after that, um, because she needed to be close to the medical team. Mm. So, you know, three-year-old baby, my mom came to help from Florida. So we shifted everyone around. The house is a little chaotic for that month. Um, but, uh, she is back home and she is healthy again. Um, wow. you know, back to living her full life. So wow. it's been quite the journey. Yeah. Bone marrow transplant mm-hmm. and heart transplant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's like the just the the miracles on miracles of that. Yeah, uh, astound me. Yeah, and the Lord really, I I I was just kind of going back as you were talking about. You know, she had twenty years that she was granted after the bone marrow transplant mm. before you know her heart began to fail. I just, I kept thinking about that prayer of Hezekiah. Mm. You know, where the Lord comes to him and says, "Hey, you're sick. Go ahead and get your house in order. You're mm. going to be." And he's like, "Can I have another fifteen years?" <laughs> and it's like you know the 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 power of God using even modern medicine, yeah, which that's what it is. Yeah, you know, a lot of times people are like, "Oh, this explains why we don't need God." No, God's the healer. He's the one that did this, right? Through the power of modern medicine, and um, 
and granted her 20 more years to live here on this earth. And now with another transplant, that's just absolutely miraculous. Yeah. Um, I want to, I want to talk a little bit about those six weeks that you were showing up to the hospital quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think anybody who has a family member in the hospital for like, especially ex- extended period of time, they understand what this is like. They understand what it's like to stop. Their life just yeah. kind of seems to cease and they're kind of like waiting on tiptoe what's going to happen next. But I, And I want to be here, mm-hmm. you know, but but there is that wrestling, that tension of your, your life kind of stopping or having to reorient everything around this. Um, yeah. Will you tell me a little bit about what, what that was like for you uh, just day in, day out, week in, week out for those six weeks plus that you were there with her in the hospital? Yeah, in many ways it was um, survival by the grace of God, mm-hmm. really. Um, I, at that point, and I know we'll we'll talk about this side of my story later, but at that point I had been um, writing um, mm. seriously for publication and I going into that, when I got the call that she was going to have to be admitted, um, I just knew immediately that God was asking me to set aside my work. Mm. And there is no way I could have gotten through that if I hadn't been willing to lay that down. Yeah. Um, And for me, that was kind of a big Isaac moment. You know, Mm. like I was just reading recently about Abraham sacrificing Isaac. And it was like, God, this is the fulfillment of a dream that you've given me, a promise. And and yet he was saying, no, like you need to lay it down. You need to be willing mm. to put it aside. And to be the mom that I needed to be, the wife, the sister, the support, the physical therapist, yeah, you know, right. all of those things, something had to go. And so I I set aside that dream for a time and God brought it back to me, you know, twofold, but... Um, when we are in seasons like that, we, we can't keep pushing through as life is something has to give, um, or we will lose sight of, um, God's presence because we're going to just be striving and pushing and exhausted and there will be no space to hear his voice or to share, um, his love with others. Right. Um, you know, when I am exhausted and stretched thin, I'm, I'm, I want to be loving, but I'm just not as aware of others' mm-hmm. needs around me. Yeah. Um, and so I'm thankful that he gave me that prompt to give, to give that up for a season because um, yeah. that's what I needed to do. You mentioned that there were several pastors that came in and prayed mm-hmm. with your family and, and obviously, you know, Phil, Pastor, Pastor Byers, as you guys would have called him, being one of those. You know, as a pastor, going into hospital settings, it's always a little terrifying, as yeah. it is for anybody who's yeah. going in and, you know, there's so, there's so much of a fear around, I don't have the words to say, yeah. I don't really know what I'm going to be able to offer this family. Um, do you have any insight into that? Mm-hmm. I'm curious, did you see, you don't have to name me by name or anything <laughs> like that, but did you see some like, hey, th- here's, you know, if we're taking a moment, pastors, here's what to do, here's what not to do. What mm-hmm. was helpful to you guys? What was encouraging to you guys during that season? And what was not, what was not helpful, probably well-meaning, but not helpful. Yeah, I, I really, I can't think of examples from a care pastor perspective that was like, oh, don't do that, yeah. you know? <laughs> um, what's interesting is a couple years ago, I, I actually spoke at a roundtable with a, a group of um, mega church care pastors. And one of them asked me after I shared my story, um, did you ever experience someone who stayed too long hmm. or too short? 
you know, and, and what was your view on that? And I, I kind of, I kind of laughed because I said, well, I really can't remember anyone who kept their visit too short, but I can definitely remember people who kept their visit too long. Really? Yeah. Because, um, there are just, it is so meaningful to have someone come to read a scripture, to pray. I mean, the the best thing you can do is pray. Right. Um, and that is so meaningful. Um, but when someone comes and we just had this one time with a, with a friend that came and just was not aware mm. of the situation and how tired mm. and really unavailable my sister was. This was after her transplant. And um, she, she had just told me before going in, she said, Sarah, I'm going to need you to kind of be the, not the bouncer, but yeah. you know, a little bit like after my surgery, I'm going to look weird. Like the medication yeah. like messes with the eyes, like they're all dilated and they look, she just said, I don't want people to see me like that except for my close family. Mm. And so she said, can you kind of be the one to be that buffer? Um, and so being aware of that and sensitive, I think is mm. important. Um, and so yeah, I can remember people who stayed too long, um, wow. just not aware of, you know, they're tired, right? They're yeah. tired. Um, uh, there are exceptions, I will say, because I shared that story with one group and one lady who is extremely extroverted said, oh, I had friends and I wish they would have stayed all day. And I thought, yeah, you would have talked <laughs> yeah, their probably, ear off, you know. It but, probably is contingent on yeah, their personality right, and what's going on. and Right. Just, yeah. just being aware, um, paying attention to the signals they're giving you. Yeah. You know, that's good. Um, if they look tired, you know, probably time to wrap it up. (laughs) And, um, if they seem like they want to talk forever, you know, maybe stay a little longer, but just being aware and really another thing, and this isn't like a thing to do, but just to be aware of is that when someone's in the hospital, they're probably self-conscious in some way Mm. because you think about your appearance in the hospital, it's hard to look good Mm. and bring your best forward. Right. Like, um, with my sister being tethered to the wall, she could, she could clean up, but you yeah. know, it was like dry shampoo and like, right. you know, it's just not, you don't feel like yourself, you're self-conscious. Right. Um, and so just being aware of that and how you posture yourself even, mm-hmm. um, it's an intangible, but it, it can make a difference too. Wow. Yeah. That's very, very helpful. I think, you know, I think it's already for a lot of people, it's very difficult to be, self-aware. I mean, this is what the key that you're talking about is self-awareness and it's hard for so many people to, especially in settings where they feel uncomfortable yeah, or the, or it's unfamiliar yeah, to kind of know exactly what the right thing is to do. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, what you're saying is just really leaning in and being mm-hmm. mindful of and taking cues from yeah. people and yeah. probably air toward not staying long. Yes. You know, yeah, <laughs> if you're yeah. going to make an error, make an error in the other way. Exactly. Um, and yet at the same time, you would probably say it's important to show up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, keeping your visit short, I think some people would want to keep it longer to make themselves feel like, okay, I did I what did I needed something. to do. Right. Yeah. But showing up is important. And if it's shorter than you feel like completes your mm-hmm. job, that that's not true. Like yeah. showing up was a big part of it. Mm. And um, for those who can't show up in person, we can show up with a phone, mm. you know, checking in um, just briefly. Technology is amazing. Yeah, you know, right. we have apps where you can video, you know, yourself right. praying or um, checking in. And so don't be afraid to use technology too if you can't be there in person. Yeah, that's good. 
Now, Sarah, I know we're going to talk a little bit more about these books that you have here uh, in a little bit, because we want to hear some some of your story and your yeah. personal journey that you had. But one of the titles of these is Prayers of Hope for Caregivers. And I'm curious if you have any insight into, you know, there might be someone who's listening to this and they've found themselves in the position of being a caregiver, a caretaker in a situation like this. Any advice, any insight from kind of what you guys learned on, hey, here's what, uh, here's just some helpful advice on being a caregiver Mm. Um, when you're walking the journey with somebody who is struggling through something as difficult as cancer or, you know, they're in the hospital or some kind of chronic illness or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, to piggyback on what we just talked about, first of all, is um, for the pastors or the people showing up to be there for the person in the hospital bed, um, make sure you're paying attention to the person who's next to them too. Um, because they are greatly impacted by the situation. Um, they may not be physically hurting or going through something, but they are often forgotten. Yeah. And um, they, are, they are dealing with a lot. And oftentimes they are not only managing caregiving, but they are managing real life you know, the person who's sick is kind of given grace that, oh, they're sick, they can't do everything. The caregiver a lot of times doesn't have that luxury. Mm. Um, They still have to keep normal life afloat. And um, so I would just say that to those who are visiting them and encouraging them to just pay attention, you know, to Mm. the person sitting nearby or, or the multiple someone's, even if they're not a direct caregiver, um, they're, they're impacted. Right. Um, For the caregiver themselves, um, you know, it's funny because when I, when my sister was going through that, I really didn't think of myself as a caregiver. Mm. Um, and so I think there might be some listening who would say, well, I'm kind of close to a situation, but I'm not a real caregiver. Like I'm not, you know, caring for an aging parent over months or years. And I would say you are giving care Mm. and you are caring for someone. Um, and in the midst of that, make sure to care for yourself too. Mm. And That's good, yeah. um, the best way you can do that is spending time in God's presence mm-hmm. wherever and however you can. Um, you have to show yourself grace that it's, it's going to look different um, than your time with him in peaceful seasons. Yeah. Um, but it is so important um, because you are basically his hands and feet to the person that you're serving. And we can't be hands and feet unless we are connecting with the person who showed us how to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and I would also say, look around you to find support and people who understand. There are a lot of people who, who don't understand. Yeah. Um, and there can be some hurt feelings with that. Um, and they're not trying to be not understanding, but that just emphasizes the need to plug yourself in with a group, even if it's one person who has been there, who is there right now, finding um, a support group, whether it's in the hospital, um, there's you know all kinds of support groups that way in a local church, um, but finding support so that you are not alone in walking through that. Yeah. Wow, that's really good. That self-care component. Yeah. I know a lot of people who find themselves in caretaker situations they're there because they have a heart to care for other people. And yet at the same time, you know, folks who care for other people have a tendency to, you know, expend themselves or they, they suffer 
in order to care for other people. And so that's so good. You can't, again, oxygen mask. I feel like we talk about yes. it all the time. You've got to put the oxygen <laughs> mm-hmm. on yourself first before you can do it yeah. to somebody else. Now, I, w- I want to kind of shift gears a little bit. I know before we got on the podcast, you said that it, w- it was very, you didn't feel like it was related necessarily to the journey you were going on with your family and stuff, but you started going through uh, some, you know, personal battle with depression and anxiety somewhere in the middle of all of this stuff. Talk to me a little bit about that journey for you. Yeah. So the way it intersects is that I, um, I watched my sister suffer, suffer physically and I, I, um, I felt for her, um, but I had not really experienced any sort of medical challenge myself Mm. until I was an adult. Um, so my experience with this actually kind of is sandwiched between, um, her years of cancer and her heart transplant. Um, when my son was born, um, he's my 11-year-old, he um, he was born perfectly healthy, but for me, his delivery caused extremely severe and rare complications. Mm. Um, so rare that I, to this day, have never met anyone who's experienced this. Um, I have since read and learned about uh, a missionary hospital in Africa that serves women that struggle with this, but Mm. um, that's third world. (laughs) And um, somehow I was the one who dealt with that here. Uh, It was, um, I went home knowing that um, something wasn't right. My my symptoms were very humiliating, very personal. Mm. Um, It was hard to even know who I could share things with. My doctor, when I called the doctor's office to tell them what was going on, the nurse kind of had this weird reaction, like, oh my, you know, Mm. like she had never heard of that. And I just thought, what is going on? Um, And so that launched me then into um, what would turn into a year and a half of being on long-term disability. Wow. I, I went home with my son and I knew that surgery was in my future. I didn't quite know... Um, how long of that process of healing would be. Um, so I was referred to a specialty surgeon who uh, told me very lovingly up front that um, we, I will do everything in my power to heal you, but it may take more than one surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, and just based on her experience. And so I was mentally prepared for that, but nothing could fully prepare me for going through um surgery after surgery, um, coming home and discovering my symptoms were back. Mm. And, um, I had never really dealt with like depression or any sort of struggle like that, but walking through that, um, depression was there for sure. I was watching my friends have babies with no complications. Mm. And again, I was searching online for forums or just anyone who who was dealing with the same condition and couldn't find anyone and really um, just felt very alone. Um, I, after I think it was my second surgery, I started to, to notice symptoms again and I, I just hit that low point. I mean, to give you context, I was a new mom. Um, but because of my condition after my surgeries, I couldn't lift more than eight pounds. Oh, wow. Um, so, you know, my son outgrew that, what, after yeah. the, you know, one month mark or something. And um, so I would be home and my husband would take my son to daycare during the day. 
um, because I couldn't be home alone with him. I, you mm. know, just practically speaking, if he was in his crib and needed, I couldn't pick him up to get mm. him out. Um, and so I was literally home by myself mm. all day, um, feeling, feeling completely worthless. Like I'm not even worth anything to my son. He's not even home with me. Um, my husband is carrying this crazy burden of not only taking care of me, but our son and trying to work. And um, Satan really used that season to um, speak um, dark thoughts mm. into my life. I, I remember, um, especially at night when the house was dark, it, just the, it was just this um, really dark presence that would fill the room and um, would say, you know, you have that whole bottle of pain pills. I hated, mm. I always hate pain pills. I, I just didn't like how they made me feel. And it would be like, well, you have that whole bottle. Why don't you just go down and mm. um, swallow them all at once? Because you would actually be doing everyone a favor. Mm. You know, they're, they're just so burdened by you right now. And of course, knowing um, the context of that was lies, right? But it was very, um, very real, very difficult. I would sometimes just say the name of Jesus, mm. you know, out loud. That was all I knew to do, right? Um, in that moment, um, just to scatter those thoughts. But um, it wasn't until after uh, my, my, what would be my final surgery? Um, my mother-in-law, she's a former librarian and she knew I was going to be home alone recovering again. And so she brought me this big bag full of books <laughs> and, um, she, you know, I had always loved to read. I had actually loved to write. Um, I ended up going down a professional career uh, mm. after college, um, but had really lost kind of that sense of like writing and reading and that yeah. love of it. But during recovery, I had a lot of time on my hands. And so she brought me this bag of books and um, she just said, I thought you would like something to pass the time. Hmm. And uh, so I started reading these books and they were um, Christian fiction. They weren't like the fluffy kind. They right. were like the really like gritty kind of hard stories. Hmm. And um, God just really awakened me through that. I, I don't think I was in a place at that time to read, pick up a nonfiction book on how God can heal my pain. Right, right. I just was not, I was kind of angry with him. I was um, disillusioned by him not healing me. Mm. Um, but I, I could read stories about other people going through pain. Mm. I was open to that. And through that, I saw in their stories how God could heal their pain. Wow. Um, who Sarah, you just yeah. hit on something right there. Okay. That's amazing <laughs> because there are so many people here's here. Let me make, let me draw the connection for you that I just okay. felt like went off in my head. Yeah. Your sister spent some time not wanting to share her story. Yeah. Rightfully so. Right. Rightfully so. I mean, the fact that she had the opportunity to kind of start over and not be known as this, you know, person who battled with cancer and, and yet she stepped into an obedience of sharing her story and that probably helped to liberate somebody else mm. that helped to heal somebody else. Yeah. Cause perhaps on the other side of her sharing her story, there was someone who was like, I don't want to hear any other, I don't want to hear a sermon, a three point sermon right, right. on how God can heal my pain. But they were open to hearing how she was healed. Right. And in the same way you find yourself in that same position yeah going, I don't want to hear this, like, you know, one, two, three, step one, two, three mm -hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. And this is, I mean, this is why we do what we do. Yeah. With people coming on and just sharing their stories, because there's something about the power of a story that you can insert yourself into that narrative and you can go, wait, if, if God can do that through that person, then what can he do in mine 
as mm-hmm. well. You mm-hmm. know, there's something powerful about, about just expressing, hey, I don't know all the answers, you know? You see the guy in the, the man born blind? He's like, I don't know th- this Jesus guy, but what I do know is I was once blind, now I see. Right. Here's my story. You can't argue with that. And it just fills people with hope. And yeah. how powerful of mm-hmm. it is it that, you know, now you're sitting in position and, and you're going, I'm just deriving so much hope from other people's stories. And some of these were fictional stories, right? Exactly. They were made up. Right, right. <laughs> and they felt real. And wow. I think my eyes were open to that, the ministry of story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jesus taught in parables, mm-hmm. right? And that in a way that is a way to to reach people that may not be reached through the preaching. Right. Um, and w- what happened from that, from that point is that I started soaking up more books. I just, mm. it was a way to pass the time. I loved these stories. It just felt like they were speaking directly to me. And um, I remember finishing a, a book that was uh, really, really tough to read, honestly. Mm. The, the person's story was very difficult, um, but God ultimately turned her pain and, and used her to, to reach mm-hmm. people um, struggling with that same thing. And I was getting ready for bed later that night. And again, the house was dark. Everyone else was asleep. And um, unlike those, that presence that I felt of darkness, um, God's presence filled the room. Wow. And there is um, less than, you know, five fingers, maybe two times in my life, I can describe it quite this powerful that, mm. that it was his presence and um, not an audible voice, but a very clear message saying, I want you to write and I want to mm. use your pain to help others, um, just like these stories helped you. Right. And um, it was one of those moments that, I, I knew it was God, and I'm so thankful that he spoke so directly to me mm. um, because my journey toward getting books published ended up taking many more years than I would have <laughs> imagined. And I'm so thankful for that moment of clarity yeah. um, that he said that. But um, I really didn't know what to do from there. I was mm. like, wow, you know, I'm a corporate person. Like I was still technically employed. Once I got through my disability, I was planning to go back to work part time mm. and trying to figure out, okay, what does this mean, God, you know? Um, and because fiction had spoken to me so powerfully, that's where I started. I actually started mm, writing okay. novels and getting plugged into that world. Um, and ultimately, I think it yeah. was about a nine-year journey, um, ended up circling back around to where God had had wanted me all along. Mm. Um, but I, I don't think I was where he didn't want me all along. I think I right. needed those years journey, to yeah. be ready. But yeah, yeah, yeah that one moment. Um, but having to go through darkness and hopelessness. Um, and I, when I think about, especially when it comes to suicidal thoughts, they mm. are so powerful and real. Mm-hmm. And when I hear someone talking about struggling with that, I just think, what can God use you for mm. in the, his kingdom? Because Satan is on the attack big time. Yeah, And I just think that looking at my story, if I had given in to that, um, he knew, he Mm -hmm. knew I was on the brink of this huge revelation from God, you know, um, to, to change my life and to have purpose again. Mm -hmm. And who in this world, um, thinks that their life isn't 
worth anything, but really they're, you know, it's like going through those tunnels in the mountains right, when you're, right. you know, you're like in the middle of it, it's so dark, but if you keep moving forward, like God's light is on the other side and that oh, purpose wow. and direction is, is, is just there on the other side of it. Wow. You know, I was having this thought the other day. Um, I hate to say this, it was actually in the shower where you have most of your like really good thoughts, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, but that, I mean, I was, I was in the shower and I had kind of like a, I, I, I have similar, um, probably similar to you, I, I can tend to slip into some very, very introspective and like deep feeling, like a deep emotion about right. certain things. Right. I'm a wing four okay. in, yep. on the yep. Enneagram. So yep. I have this like real, just like kind of get, you know, withdrawn and kind of think reflective and stuff. And a lot of times that's how my emotion kind of comes up and starts to get processed in, mm. in these times. And I could see an easy propensity for me to slip into depression or those kinds mm-hmm. of things. There's no doubt it's not, not a very far jump to go from those things. But one of the things that I was reading this the other day um, in Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. Have you ever read that book? Vic- I have not. Viktor Frankl was a Holocaust survivor. Oh, okay. And so he writes the first half of this book about his experience in concentration camps, the wow. first of which being Auschwitz, which is, you know, the most yeah. infamous of them. And he, he wrote this, he's actually quoting Spinoza in his book, Ethics, says, emotion, which is suffering, ceases to be suffering as soon as we form a clear and precise picture of it. Hmm. Wow. I'll read it again. Emotion, which is suffering, ceases to be suffering as soon as we form a clear and precise picture of it. Hmm. And here's the point of me sharing this. I think that as someone who's a writer like yourself, and I would encourage anybody and everybody if they're going through something, uh, somewhat of a dark season or depressed state or anxiety, mm-hmm. to begin writing those things. Yeah. Even if you don't feel like you're a writer, <laughs> begin putting that stuff down. Because if you can describe, if you can kind of put, kind of take it outside of your being and put it on something else and, and step back away from it and get a clear picture as to what it is, that emotion no longer has power over you. It, it, you begin to kind of regain control or dominance over that. But I also think that sometimes God will allow us to go into those really dark spaces um, so that we can reach into, as a writer like yourself, you can reach into the depths of emotion that other people are dealing with. And you can reach into it from the standpoint of going, I know, I, I know what it's like. Right. I've been there. Right. I've walked that valley. I've walked that mm-hmm. journey. I can I can tell you exactly how it feels and how it tastes and 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 what what it sounds like and and people are like oh my gosh yes mm-hmm. and then you can go let me show you the way out and um, and sometimes I I feel like God just allows some of that space so that so that we can go into those kind of like tragedies of tragedies of life to be able to really uncover what our true destiny is mm-hmm. yeah. but sometimes you have to go to those really deep dark places. And, and to where you can find God in those things and begin to um, kind of move move in spaces that then can be turned around to help other people. And it sounds like that's kind of where you begin to unlock this yeah. and discover. I mean, writing was probably something that was already in your nature for a long time, but where you really begin to discover, okay, this gift is not just a gift, it's a tool for ministry here. Right, right. And I... Um like I said, I, I pursued writing fiction for many years. Um, I signed with my literary agent with fiction. I, I think I gained a lot of writing tools in my toolbox. Um, but it wasn't until I kind of hit a dead end with that, um, path that God circled me back around to, Mm. you know, the idea of 
a prayer book for people going through health challenges. And then Mm. also for those that are walking alongside them and processing my journey and my sister's journey and kind of full circle. We talked about the pastors coming to visit and saying, okay, they're there for a short moment. They're, they're offering comfort and help. And it's very general. Um, what if, what if I could offer a resource that gets really specific, Mm -hmm. like for the person who's sitting there by themselves and maybe in a moment that they're ashamed to admit, I'm, I'm questioning if life is worth living. And I will just speak to the fact that any sort of, um, illness or diagnosis, um, or major surgery is going to most likely prompt some form of depression. Yeah. Some kind Um, of an emotional Yes. Um, yeah. Injury as well. Some kind of right. emotional thing that right. needs to, right. Wow. Yeah. I mean, even my mother-in-law who had, you know, a major heart surgery and I never would have imagined her struggling, um, going into her surgery at a major hospital in Chicago basically was, had to go through training to be prepared for the depression right. that would follow. Right. Um, and so, you know, from the outside, I think for us wanting to help someone, we have to be aware of that yeah. and be okay with that. Like that's normal. That's that's a healthy process for their healing, their mm-hmm. physical healing, but their emotional healing, they're grappling with a new reality. Yep, exactly. And we have to have grace for them to, to process that mm. safely. Wow. Sarah, I'd love to, um, you know, I know we've got to close here because we're coming short on time, but I'd love, there's probably someone who's listening to this and they're, they find themselves in, in a similar situation where they are struggling with some deep depression, some very dark thoughts and even suicidal thoughts. And, and, um, and maybe they're in a place where they're like, I haven't, I haven't experienced kind of the, you know, God showing up for me in that moment, the way that he showed up for you yet. yet and I'm not sure if I will. What do you tell someone in that moment right there? What would you, if you were just kind of like sitting down and having coffee with that person, and they're wrestling with the same thing that you were wrestling with. You know, I'm such a burden. I'm such a, like, what would you tell them to do? Yeah. Two things come to mind. Um, The first is hold on to God's promises. Mm -hmm. One thing that I'm so thankful God prompted me to do um, before my son was born, and I had no idea how he would use this in a powerful way, was to memorize scripture. Yeah. Wow. Um, and so planting that in my heart um, so that in those moments when sometimes my desire to pull out a Bible wasn't very strong, I had it in my heart and my mm. mind to quote it um, to myself. Um, so really planting yourself in God's word, posting his promises where you can see them, yeah. writing them down, putting them like next to your bed, you know, on the bathroom mirror, wherever you need to, to see it regularly. Um to remind yourself. Yeah. Um, the other thing is you asked, you were talking about um, being a burden. And I think a big transformational thing is to, Satan wants us to view ourselves as a burden, but God wants to use us as a blessing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so asking him, God, how can I be a blessing and help to someone around me? Mm. And I know when you're sick or burdened with caregiving and you feel like you have nothing to give, I guarantee you have something to give. Mm. Um, I remember when I was um, in the midst of my surgeries, I I met someone through my mom's group who was going through a chronic condition different from mine, but in a way there was some similarities. And 
God just prompted me to reach out to her mm. and regularly. And because I was going through it, I knew what she needed. Yeah. And so I would just check in with her and ask, how can I pray? How are you doing? When's your next appointment? Yeah. Um, and so you may feel like you're a burden to everyone else, but really you are in a unique position to be a blessing to That's someone right. who's struggling. Um, and you have a unique understanding of what they need and yeah. what to say that no one else may have. Mm. Um, and so whether it is reaching out to them, maybe it's if you're bedridden, maybe it's writing encouraging notes. Mm. Um, I think of this is not a major health crisis, but my mom had um, knee replacement surgery and I gave her this gift of um, these little like coloring cards. They're like the adult coloring book things, yeah, but these right. little cards and <laughs> colored pencils. And my mom spent most of her recovery just like coloring and they had these Bible verses on them. Mm. And so she would like give them as gifts and thank you cards to her friends. And she said they were just, they would like put them on their fridge and they just meant so much. And that's another example. Yeah. She she couldn't move. She couldn't get off the couch, but you can be a blessing. You can use art. You can use words right. um, to encourage someone, even just a smile. Honestly, like if you start viewing that doctor's office or that hospital room as your mission field, (laughs) if you are kind and loving, like those nurses and doctors will see a difference and they might ask you about what the difference is. Why, what makes you different? Why are you not angry like the person next door or yelling at me or, you know, lashing out at me? Hmm. Um, You can be a blessing right where you are. That's so great that you mentioned that. I was talking to some friends about this book that was really formidable for me in college. I read called The The One Thing You Can't Do in Heaven. (laughs) And without getting too much on that tangent, it's by a guy named Mark Cahill who played basketball for the Phoenix Suns and for Auburn University and got the opportunity to witness to all these major, these athletes that, you know, Tiger Woods and Michael Jordan, Charles Barkley, all these guys that I grew up watching and knowing. And, and, uh, he had such a heart for evangelism that he tells a story at one point, and it's one of those books that just inspires you in ministry. Mm-hmm. Inspired. He tells this story about how he tore his ACL and how he was at first just like, woe is me, you know, this really is awful, this sucks, I'm a basketball player, like how am I going <laughs> to... And how the Lord kind of just convicted him in that moment and going, hey... I have you in this hospital for a reason. Yeah. Like who, who can you be a light to in this mm-hmm. moment? Yeah. How can you? And so he began looking at all of his, everything that happened in his life as an opportunity to share Christ with somebody, to be in, to, to be a minister right there. And I love what you're saying because so many times we can slip into that vortex of self-loathing and this victim mentality and, and nobody would blame you because of what yeah. you're going through. But the way to kind of, partner with God and lifting yourself out of that is by saying, how can I serve somebody else even in this state where I don't feel like I have anything left to give? Yeah. And that somehow God refreshes you. There's there's something that happens in your spirit, in your being, mm-hmm. when you turn that around into ministry in the moments that you feel the weakest and most vulnerable, that is just a, it, there's a powerful thing that happens, right? I mean, it was when Jesus was grieving the loss of, you know, John the Baptist that he fed the 5,000. Right. It was in that moment, right, you know, right. at his deepest, darkest moments of grief where he lost his best friend and cousin, that he performs his most powerful miracle. And I think that that spirit exists and that's a possibility within all of us. And it's so cool what, you know, what you're saying right there to say, look, look up out of your situation. You're not a burden. That's a lie from the enemy. You are yeah. not a burden, yeah. you know? No. Um, and and you can be a blessing to other others in this. Man, Sarah, these two books that you, you've written, Prayers of Hope for Caregivers and Prayers for Hope and Healing. Um, where can people uh, find out more about you? Where can they get copies of this? Um, 
How, yeah. how can we kind of follow what's going on in your life? Yeah, so you can go to sarahforgrave.com and um, from there you will find information about the books. I have links to all the retailers that sell them mm. online. Um, they are in bookstores, so but that's a good launching point to, cool. to find out more. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for spending time oh, with thank us. You. This has just been an honor to be able to talk to you. I'm so glad that God connected us and really, really grateful for the ministry that you're doing. Yeah, so, and same you. to you. Thank you. Another incredible interview, man. What a, what a great episode. It's a great one to start out 2020. I was thinking the same thing. We came out of the gate strong. <laughs> By the way, happy new year. Happy, happy new year. I mean, to you. this is like this this is like I mean, if you're listening to it on the day of release, I mean, this is like day 2 of this new year. And um, you know, when I was thinking about the new year, you know, this new year is full of all kinds of possibilities for you. Uh, and most often we think about the different possibilities that there are. We make New Year's resolutions and goals, and this is how we're going to seize the opportunity this year, um, especially if you're an Enneagram 3 like me. But I think also the, the the thing we need to be looking at with the New Year is what kinds of trials might be coming our way. Um, mm. and I don't think that should be a surprise because Jesus said that, you know, in this world you will have trouble. Um, you could You could easily insert, you know, take out in this world, you can say in this year, you will have trouble. And I don't want this to be any kind of a prophetic thing for anybody. I just want us to be prepared mm-hmm. knowing that there's going to be hard things that come for us this year. And the best way that we can create a firm foundation is building our life on the word of God, building our life and trusting Jesus and do what we've talked about often, training for the trials that we're not yet in. Um, and so as you're thinking about your New Year's resolutions, think also about, okay, how do we prepare our family and our, and our lives and our rhythms to be able to stay grounded and firm in the midst of trial, no matter what mm-hmm. comes for us this year? Davey, that's a really good thought. I think um, as everyone is planning out their year and their New Year's resolutions that they will most likely toss in the trash in a couple of months, if not sooner. Oh, that's um, so sad. <laughs> <laughs> maybe something that you should put on your New Year's resolution, though, is to listen to Sleeping at Last. So, in, yes. And maybe you're one of those that you're at the gym right now. You're going to get rid of that final 10 pounds. You know, just put Sleeping at Last in your earbuds and listen away. <laughs> you will not regret it. So uh, that wouldn't be my gym music choice, but to each his own. My, but sleeping if you're doing yoga me, or something, I sh- that is very true. That's very true. Uh, sleeping is last. Sleeping last is very like great, chill, thinking, introspective mm-hmm. music, work music, focus music, meditation. Yeah, all of that stuff. Anyways, make sure you download it, stream it wherever music can be downloaded and streamed. Uh, and yeah, next week, Davy. Oh my goodness, I have to say it might be one of my all-time favorite. <laughs> I episodes think she's your that new hero. Had. It is. She is just. Amazing. Um, I cannot wait for you guys to hear Deborah. Um, you will just, you will not be able to do anything except yeah. listen straight through. It's such a good episode. So, anyway, yeah. here's a clip of next week's episode. They were work, trying to work all the children back home to mom. Mm-hmm. And mom had a lot of hoops to jump through and some training and all of that. And I sat down with the mom and the caseworker to say, okay, what's the plan? How can I help? How can I support? So suddenly after we set this plan in in motion for a few weeks, I get a phone call from the caseworker and she said, a judge just ordered all of them home today. 
Mm. And I said, what do you mean? He ordered them home today. We haven't even worked the program with the mother. And what about this one particular child? She's scared to death of mommy. She doesn't want to go home. And I said, what do we do? And and the caseworker said, you have to take them home. It's judge ordered. And I don't see me as a person that gets hysterical very easily. I think I'm pretty level-headed and calm. Mm. Uh, but I was getting pretty hysterical about this child. Yeah. I thought, this is not good. I just knew it was not good for her. She was clinging to me physically, sobbing and crying, begging me to not take her. Wow. It was probably one of the most horrible things I had to do. I had to do in my life. And so the, I had to take them all home. I took the child um, also home that uh, that was uh, the targeted child. And I tried to stay in touch with this mother through birthday presents, bringing her meals, uh, just staying in contact so I could come to the house mm-hmm. and uh, with a, a real reason, you know, to come by and not just checking on her, but to also check to see how everybody was doing. And after a while, I, I just didn't see this child there anymore. There was mm-hmm. always a reason. She's off playing. She's visiting somebody. She's at a birthday party. So I started calling social services and said, something's wrong. You know, I'm not seeing this child. 